0: Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. So let me guys ask you, Have you guys been enjoying the Revive series, who here has been enjoying the Revive series? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, So as we jump into it this morning, um, I want to ask you guys a question. Do you ever remember a time in life when you went after something with everything that you had? Do you ever remember a time when you just went after that thing? It didn't matter what was against you, what was facing you. You just went after it with everything that you had. I want you guys to think about that question. When, when I think about it, um, I think about when I first met my wife um, and I was pursuing her. Um, I remember how I just like tried to do everything to kind of impress her and to win her. And, and so one of the first times we went out, um, I took her on a scavenger hunt around Ashboro Zoo. And uh, I had, like, envelopes at each stop. And so, like, there was an elephant one, and you opened the elephant envelope, and it said, um, an elephant never forgets. What's your earliest memory or your favorite memory? I remember doing that, and I remember on our first date, I took it to the middle of a golf course at nighttime, which might seem, like, super sketchy, but it wasn't. Um, And and what I'd done is I I, I spray-painted all, like, the golf clubs and the golf balls in, like, glow-in-the-dark golf, uh, glow-in-the-dark paint. And we played glow-in-the-dark golf in the middle This course, and and we had a picnic. Like I was trying to be like super creative. I was trying to give it my all because I really loved my wife at the time. She wasn't my wife, but you get what I'm saying. Um, But when I kept thinking about this, I I couldn't help but think about a time when I was in school and I was about 13 or 14 years old. And uh, I was just thinking about this time when I went after it all. And at this time, we was playing was playing a sport called rugby. now, for those of you that don't know what rugby is, it's like football, but real, okay? <laughs> you don't have all this armor that these football players have. It's like raw, and it's brutal. And, and so we're, we're practicing, we're doing this practice where everybody's in like, like you got a single file line here and a single file line here. And, and as you move down the line, the person on the end and the other person on this end has to run through and tackle one another. Now, one thing you have to know about me is I hated rugby because I was like the smallest, scrawniest student in the whole school. I wasn't the buff, swole man that you guys know today, okay? (laughs) All right, easy, easy. Uh, And so as I'm in line waiting for my like impending doom and it's like getting closer and closer, something just came over me and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to give my all. I'm just going to give everything that I've got. I don't care who's on the other end of this thing. I'm going to tackle them with everything inside of me. And so it comes to my turn, and and I remember looking down the tunnel, and it's none other than Taylor. Now, for those of you that don't know Taylor, Taylor was like the Goliath of our school. At like 13 years old, he, he stood at like six foot tall. I think he was like bred by Philistines and poured miracle grow on his breakfast or something. But I'm like, oh, and everything inside of me. But I'd already decided where I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I've committed. And so I remember like running. No, no. I remember charging down this line and Taylor's running towards me. All feels like in slow motion. And then in the middle, we hit. And I'd like to say it was like an immovable object meeting an unstoppable force. But it was more like a rubber ball meeting a trampoline. Like, I I find myself hitting Taylor. Taylor stayed exactly where he was, and I was like nine feet back to where I started. Like, it was painful. It was brutal. I was sore for days, but I'm glad I gave it my all. I'm glad I played the game the way it was meant to be played. And so I want you guys to ask yourself, when was the last time that you gave it your all? When was it that you went after something, regardless of the challenges or what stood in front of you, and just went for it? And then I want you guys to ask yourself, am I pursuing God that same way? Am I running after him with everything that I have and what he's called me to do in that same manner? Let's pray. Lord well, God, we just uh, thank you and we praise you for today. Thank you for this day of life that you've given us. And I just pray that as we open up your word and as you speak to us, Lord God, that our hearts will be softened to receive from you, that we'll be challenged to just step out in faith, that we'll be challenged uh, to do what you've called us to do with our whole hearts, Lord. Uh, will you speak to us today? Will you do something afresh in us? Will you revive our hearts, Lord? Will you bring us back to our first love? Help us not to start in the spirit but end in the flesh, Lord, but let us just run to you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at a portion of scripture, and we're basically going to look at the life of Hezekiah from the Bible. Now, this is a guy that went after God and the things of God wholeheartedly. It says in 2 Chronicles 31.21, it says in everything, talking about Hezekiah, that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in the obedience to the law and his commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. In some versions it said, seeking his God, he did with all his heart. Now, the life of Hezekiah is an incredible one. It's, I don't think we give King Hezekiah the credit that he deserves. Right, Most of us have heard of King David and all his stories, fighting Goliath, David's mighty man, all these great stories. But then we can kind of pause when we come to Hezekiah and not really know a whole lot about him. But this guy just led an incredible life. It says in Second Kings 18.5, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Like, this guy led an incredible life and had such a great story. And we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of the story of Hezekiah. And so I just want to encourage you guys today. We're going over, like, we're going to be jumping around. But in your spare time, just take the time to read up about Hezekiah's story. The majority of the text of his life can be found in 2 Chronicles, chapters 28 to 31. And so if you want to jot that down and read about it, I I encourage you to do that. It's, It's incredible. But... In in context to our Revive series, we're talking about revival and how we can experience revival in our own lives. And I want to talk to you about how by Hezekiah seeking, serving, and submitting to God with his whole heart, he caused a revival among his nation to turn back to God. Remember, Revival is for the believer, because we can't revive what was never alive. And so it's a, it's a reawakening, it's a reignition, And that's what Hezekiah did, is he led his people to a reawakening, to go back to their first love. And, and we see Hezekiah doing this because in everything he did, he did it wholeheartedly. You see, Hezekiah was all in. So the title of my sermon this morning is All In. So I want you guys to awkwardly turn to your neighbor, look him right in the eye, and ask them, are you all in? Come on, guys. I do this every time. You guys should be used to it by now. <laughs> now, the best illustration that I could think of, you guys could probably think of better ones, when I'm talking about all in, is Poker. That's why I have, I have poker chips up here, right? Because we, we know this idea of going all in when it comes to poker, right? That we put all the chips in the center of the table, and we don't hold back. Some of you are nervous that I'm talking about poker in church right now. Like, poker? I don't know what that is. Like, seriously, like, the, the senior pastor's away for a week, and the outreach pastor's playing poker on the platform. I'm like, oh, gosh. But seriously, if you have complaints, you can reach our senior pastor at, at com if you want to send him an email. Uh, <laughs> no, I just think, I think this is an idea, even if you don't play poker, even if you've never played poker, we all understand this language of going all in, right? That we hold nothing back. We put all the chips in the center of the table. We know this language of been, been dealt a bad hand. We know what that looks like. You know, we know like knowing when to hold them, knowing when to fold them. Knowing when to walk away. Come on, everybody now. Knowing when to run. Yeah, see, you guys do know poker. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, before we get distracted with all this, let's, let's jump into today's text. I think for us to first understand the magnitude of Hezekiah's life, we have to have some context to his story. So the king previous to Hezekiah was a guy called Ahaz. Now Ahaz ruled, Jerusalem, uh, ruled Judah for 16 years, and the Bible says that there was darkness among the nation. 2 Kings sixteen two 2-3, talking about Ahaz, it said he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the, king of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire, engaging in detestable practices of the nation the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. You see... Ahaz was living this dark and evil life. Ahaz dealt in idolatry, false worship, child sacrifice. The times were evil and dark. The Bible says that wickedness could be found on everybody's hands. Ahaz took the silver and gold from the house of the Lord and presented it to the kings of Assyria. Instead of trusting God, Ahaz took the things that were intended for God to appease a pagan king. Also, one of the biggest things that he did was he closed down the temple of the Lord. He closed the gates of the temple. However, what's so interesting is if we took the time to look at 2 Kings 16, we find that even though Ahaz was doing all this incredible, detestable, evil stuff, he still kept the altar of the Lord. He wanted to keep the altar of the Lord for guidance. You see, Hezekiah, uh, Ahaz was, was doing all this sin and all this detestable stuff, but he still wanted to be able to seek the Lord for guidance. You see, in the midst of his sin, Ahaz thought it would be okay if he just continued with a few forms of religion. He thought everything would be all right. He thought he could sin all that he wanted as long as he just kept God on the side. But you see, when religious acts... Cease to come from the heart, we deceive ourselves. And this is what Pastor Dave was talking about last week when he talked about the Lord saying, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught by men. You see, these people were not all in. Ahaz was not all in, he was being deceived. Deceiving someone else is bad, but deceiving oneself is worse. And to think God is okay with you when he's not is one of the greatest deceptions of all. You see, Ahaz knew the importance of playing the game. He wanted to keep God on the side and be able to seek him for guidance. He wanted to stay in the game, and so he just cast a couple chips. But he didn't want to go all in. And, and I think we can take this idea, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, this can apply to our own lives. We read something as a staff that I wanna to read to you this week, and I think it sums up this idea. It's specifically talking about prayer, but I think this could be applied to different wa- parts of our spiritual work. It says, we come to one of the crying evils of these times, maybe of all times, little or no praying. Of these two, Perhaps little praying is worse than no praying. Little praying is a kind of make-believe, a salvo for the conscience, a farce, a delusion. The little estimate we put on prayer is evident from the little time we give to it. Prayer, When prayer is absent, it reinforces the assumption that we're okay without him. It leads the church to believe that there are plenty of things we can do without God's help, and we need only bother him when we run into especially difficult situations. You see, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know we should pray, but if we've been truly transparent, we're not going all in. And so we can say, well, I, I say grace when I, when I have a meal. I pray, yeah, I pray. I pray when, when I come to church, yeah, I, I pray. When it's a small group, we get together and, and we pray. We're casting chips here and there, but we're not really all in. We, we're almost easing our conscience and saying that, I pray, but really, we're not all in. We're just casting a chip here and there, trying to stay in the game. And, and that's exactly what Ahaz was doing. He, he wanted to keep God on the side. I think, I think if we, some of us looked at our relationship with God and how often we actually communicate with him, if we took that, if we communicated with our spouse, the same amount we communicate with God, our very marriages would be hanging on by a thread, if at all. And so this is what, has, this is what Ahaz was doing. He was, he was keeping God on the sides. He wanted the benefits, he just didn't want a relationship. And we all know what we call that, right? He, didn't want the, he wanted the benefits with no relationship. And I think we see this as, as, as a people and as a nation because when we're faced with crisis, we turn to God. Think, think about some of the most horrific times in this nation like 9-11. So many people got on their knees and turned to God and prayed because we didn't know what else to do. We didn't know where else to go. We ran to God because we were in extreme crisis. We, 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 we needed him. But then on a day-to-day when everything's going fine, we can often forget about him. We don't involve him in our whole life life. But then in comes Hezekiah, and he knew different. In the midst of all this sin and all this wickedness, one man was willing to follow God and do his will. Sounds like a trailer from the 90s, right? One man willing to take on the wickedness. See, Hezekiah was 25 when he began reigning, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. And as soon as Hezekiah began to reign He meant business. We read in 2 Chronicles 29.3 that in the first month of his reign, Hezekiah opened the temple gates, meaning that once again people would have access to God. He called the priests and the Levites and ordered them to purify the defiled temple and to begin repairs on the temple, removing all the idols from the sanctuary. What I love about it is Hezekiah was determined to lead these people into an awakening, to turn them back to God. He reminded them of their first love. He took them back to where they were meant to be. And what I love most about this is that Hezekiah's father was Ahaz. You see, Hezekiah got dealt a bad hand. He inherited this nation in such a dark and evil time. And he didn't even have a father that was teaching him and leading him in the ways that he should go. But Hezekiah was so determined and so committed to God, that he did it anyway. And I think that this is a message for some of you here today. You got dealt a bad hand. Your parents didn't give you the tools that you needed There's stuff in your family line and in your family history that scares you that you're afraid of. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's violence. Maybe it's bad relationships. But I want you to know today, just like Hezekiah, the hand you've been dealt doesn't need to be the hand you hold on to. You can fold that hand and get a new hand through Jesus Christ. In Christ, we're a new creation. Today, you have the opportunity to rewrite your family's line. You can rewrite your family's legacy. What you dealt with, the future generations of your family don't have to know what that was like. You get to draw a line in the sand, and you get to be where the book stops today, through Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what Hezekiah did. What his father closed, he opened. What his father damaged, he repaired. Don't allow your past to lock you out of the future that God wants to open to you. Hezekiah didn't let any of that hold him back. He wholeheartedly went after God, and he led his people back to true worship. A life that was just no longer throwing a chip here or there, but a life that went all in. You see, he, he made a commitment to seek God with all his heart. He took an oath to put what was wrong right, and he went after God regardless of the challenges that stood before him. So ask yourselves, am I doing the same? Am I really seeking God with everything that I have? Am I taking God at his word and living my life for him? A good check for us to see if we're truly seeking God with all that we have is to ask ourselves, am I seeking God or am I seeking the gifts of God? Are we seeking gifts for ourselves Or are we seeking to glorify God no matter the cost? Will you chase after God and do the things that he's called you to do, even if nobody notices? I think if you get a check in your spirit when asked that question of, I don't know if I'm gonna go to all that effort and nobody even notice, I think we can soon realize that we're more like Ahaz than we realize. We want the blessings of God, but not God. We, we're worshiping the gifts and not the giver. And you see, our hearts can so often wander and we can find ourselves worshiping the gifts of God rather than God. Even the good gifts that God gives us can become bad when they become idols. You see, I'm not talking about sin. I'm, not talking, I'm talking about good gifts that even God can give you. I'm talking about our families, our, our homes, our jobs. How, how many times has God given us something and we've put that thing above him. You see, these things aren't bad on themselves, but as soon as they become idols in our life, we're starting to move out of true worship. I think for me, if I'm being completely transparent with you guys, I'm I'm trying to practice my vulnerability, you know, I preached about vulnerability, and so I'm practicing that right now. I think if I'm completely honest with you guys, when I'm prepping for a sermon, I begin to focus so much on preparing a good sermon that I get focused on that and starting to feeling the pressure to perform, the, the, the pressure to deliver and communicate well, that I sometimes wonder from the real reason why I should be doing this. I begin to idolize the sermon rather than my savior. You see, I believe that God gave me a gift to communicate, but sometimes my eyes are so focused on that gift that I actually miss the joy just been with Jesus. You see, but it's not a bad thing. You might say, well, that's not bad. You know, you, you're doing what God's called you to do. It's not a bad idol. But understand, there is no such thing as a good idol other than Jesus Christ, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's no such thing as a good idol. That's why we read in 2 Kings eighteen four. it says that Hezekiah had to break the very gift that God gave him hundreds of years before that God used to deliver his people. It says that he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites have been burning incense to it. You see, Hezekiah had to destroy the bronze snake, which was a gift from God that was used to deliver his people because they began to idolize the gift that God gave them. Now, for those of you that don't know what the bronze snake is, you can read about it in Numbers 21, but basically at that time, there was people that were falling sick, and and basically, crazy story, they got bit by snakes, all these people were dying, and so God said to Moses, make a bronze snake, hold it up, anybody that looks at it will be healed, and so many people were healed, and it was an amazing, miraculous thing, it was a good gift that God gave them, but then they soon wandered into worshiping the gift rather than the giver. You see, it's no longer a good gift if it replaces God. It's said that there's nothing more important to the central message of Chronicles than proper worship. You know, Hezekiah's bringing them back. He's throwing out all the idols. He's repairing the temple. He's bringing them back to what proper worship should be. What is proper worship? Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, we need to ask ourselves, what does our worship look like? Are we truly offering everything we have to God, giving him our lives, taking him at his word, and doing everything that he's called us to do? Is he... Our main focus, or are we just throwing a couple chips here and there? Are we well? I go to church. I, I I say grace. Are we just playing enough to stay in the game, or are we going all in? So we need to ask ourselves: What does that look like? Will we go after God with everything, no matter what he calls us to, no matter the challenges, no matter the difficulties, no matter how crazy it may seem, even if everybody's against us, God is calling us to go all in. Will you do that today? Will you take up the challenge and go all in? You see, God is calling us closer to him. He's constantly calling us up higher, He wants to expand our faith today. And so ask yourself, what is the next step of faith that I can take that God is calling me to? we got to keep moving forward in our relationships. Because it's at times when we start to slow down and stay still and become content that our lives and our relationships with God become stagnant. Our hearts become to harden. I've recently been uh, watching a TV series called uh, Cobra Kai, Has anybody heard of Cobra Kai? Okay, awesome. Let me ask you another question. Has anybody heard of Karate Kid? Okay, so so basically, the TV series Cobra Kai is a spin-off of the original uh, Karate Kid, and so like they've brought back all the original actors. So Billy Zapko's in it, Ralph Macchio's in it. It's it's like just like a throwback. It's it's fantastic. Um, hence my uh, hence my T-shirt. It's like I'm a total fanboy. It's true, <laughs> and, but I also thought like the bronze snake, like it's like a visual for you guys, you know, tying it all in. Um, but anyway, so, so Johnny Lawrence, which is like the bad guy in the movies, but if you really think about it and watch it, he's actually the good guy. Like Danny's just constantly provoking him. And, but anyway, so Johnny Lawrence is, is kind of like a little messed up guy, and he's, he's trying to bring back Cobra Kai. And he's, he's learning, he's journeying, he's trying to do it better than how, how it was done before. And in one episode, he teaches the students this incredible lesson. It's strike first, strike hard, no mercy. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that one. (laughs) That's a terrible lesson. Um, He's he's teaching them about coming not to become content, not to think that you have arrived. And so basically the students, they've won this, this fighting competition. I don't want to give all the spoiler away, but... But yeah, they, they're, they're doing good, right? They're winning their fights, and they're starting to become like real like showboaty. Like, oh, we don't need a train. like We've got this. like we're, we're the champs and all this. And so Johnny Lawrence is taking them and teaching this lesson of don't ever think you've arrived. And so he takes them to a construction site, and in Johnny Lawrence style, it's really extreme, and he puts them in the back of one of these big cement trucks that's turning, and, and he's basically saying the cement, while it's not moving, will harden. But as long as that thing is spinning... It's, it's movable, it's pliable, it's, it's, it's like our hearts, right? Once we're moving, it's easier for God to steer us. And so he makes them like, have to spin this concrete truck. It, it's crazy, but I was just thinking like, man, how good of a lesson is that for us? That what is the next thing that I could be doing that God has called me to? Where is my next step of faith that I could be taking? What is the challenge of expanding my faith that God is calling me to? Or am I just finding myself stagnant in one place and my heart is becoming hardened? I think for me, like, I feel the closest to God when I'm actually doing stuff, stepping out of my comfort zone, stepping out on faith and doing the things that he's called me to do. Whereas if I just find myself doing the same thing every day, it's easy for me to become content and my heart is hardened. And so I want to challenge you guys, before you leave this place today, maybe just spend some time praying, What has God calling you to next? What is the next step of faith that he's calling you out? What's the next challenge he's calling you out of the boat to, you know? It's easy when we first, become, when we first come to the Lord, these next steps seem easy, right? Like, oh, I came to the Lord, now my next step of faith is baptism. Okay, now I'm going to become a member of the church. Now I'm going to go to small group. And then all of a sudden it's like, we stop. Like, I just now repeat all these things, not praying, what has God got for you Next. Maybe he has a crazy, unimaginable plan for you in your life, but you've got to take the time, seek him, and ask him for that. Maybe, maybe for you it is to get baptized. Maybe you've just come to the Lord and that's your next step. Maybe you've been with the Lord for 20 years and you haven't been baptized. You know, maybe you think, oh, it's, it's too far gone, but maybe he's calling you to that. You know, maybe it's to start a small group. Maybe it's to share the gospel with your neighbor. Maybe it's to publish that book that you've been thinking about. Maybe it's to pray with your spouse. Maybe it's to go on a mission trip. Maybe it's to open that business. In just a second, we're gonna be talking about a new partnership that we're teaming up with as a church that I'm super excited about called Safe Families, where we get to care for families in our community that are in crisis. Maybe that's the next step that he has for you today. I don't know what it looks like for you. It all looks different for each of us. Me and Ashley recently just bought a school bus that we converted into a tiny home on wheels with a dream to do missions work all across North America. That's what God is calling us to. Maybe God's not calling you to buy a school bus, but he's calling you to something, and I want you guys to seek that and ask God, what do you have for me next? And will you? Will you go after it with everything that you have? Will you say yes? Will you go all in with your whole life? I challenge you, put all the chips on the table. Don't hold anything back. Trust God at his word. And I promise you, I promise you if you run after God with everything that you've got, you'll hit the jackpot. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, for us, the jackpot is Jesus Christ. The jackpot is God gets glorified. Now, what do I mean when I say God gets glorified, I glorify God? What do I mean by that? I mean that we have the opportunity to put God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's mercy on display to the world. That we get to be his hands and feet and God gets glorified. And this is important to know. This is important to know that this is the jackpot. Because understand that by saying yes to God doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean life is going to be comfortable. It doesn't mean life you're going to get everything that you want. But it does mean that you get to be a part of a greater purpose that goes beyond you. It does mean that you'll have a friend in Jesus that will stick closer than a brother. It does mean that even in the midst of chaos, you can find peace. It does mean that even in the midst of hurt, when your heart is feeling heavy, you have somewhere to go and to seek hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so it might be disruptive to your plans. It might seem inconvenient at times, but it's worth it. So will you run after God today? Will you go all in? Ask your neighbor, say, will you go all in? Come on, ask him. Look at him. Ask him. Shake him, shake him. Wake him up. (laughs) One thing I love about the story of Hezekiah is that how he takes the people of God back to what they were supposed to be doing. They'd wandered so far from what God had called them to, and he's bringing them back to what true worship and what true religion looks like. And I feel like we need that at times. We need to be called back to what we're supposed to be doing. It's so easy for us to wander. We just sang that song earlier, how our hearts are prone to wander. We get so busy with life, with activities, with family, that we often forget what we're called to, what is our purpose, what are we called to do, what is our main priority? What is true worship and true religion? James 1, says this, it says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, the widows and orphans back then were the most vulnerable people of their time. God is calling us as a church body to love and to care for the most vulnerable of our time. You see, God made his plan for us pretty simple. Love God, love people. It's so simple to remember, but it's hard for us to do. We often get so consumed by being busy that we forget what is God calling us to. And so God is calling us back today to be a church, to be the church that we're supposed to be of loving people and loving Him and putting His goodness on display. And so while you're praying, which again, I encourage you, pray today. While you're praying and waiting for what God has for you next, I can tell you already that it's gonna involve loving Him and loving people. And so while you're waiting, let's just take every opportunity we can to do that. And so that leads me into introducing Safe Families to you guys. We mentioned it a couple uh, months ago, um, what Safe Families is, but I kind of just want to give you guys more of a, um, a big overview of what Safe Families looks like. I am, I'm, I'm personally super pumped and super excited about this. Safe Family actually teams up with a lot of our strategic partners already, so it's just a perfect fit. Um, but basically what they do is they allow us as a church to be the church. Basically they're empowering us to find people in our community that are in crisis and we as the church get to respond to those people and surround them with a body of believers. That we can get to care for people in crisis in our community. They give us a bridge into our community to bear one another's burdens. And so it's just just an amazing picture of, again, going back to what the church is meant to be. That we love God and we love people. And so in just a second, I'm going to have Jenny and Neil. They're going to come up and share more about it. They're our ministry leads for this ministry. But right now, I just want you guys to pay attention to the screen, and we're going to watch a short testimonial of what Safe Families has been doing.